0: Somehow the stool didn't make it in, and when I stand up, things get crazy. So that could happen. If I haven't met you, my name is Matthew, um, one of the pastors here, and uh, it's the one day of the year that my wife will convince me to wear something that's kind of like this color, and it's not because I'm opposed to wearing a color called salmon. Uh, It's just that I feel with my complexion most of the time it does not do me justice. But my wife says, no, it looks good. So I'm like, you know what, well, I'll trust your opinion today, and she's in there with kids this morning. So... She can't validate what I'm saying is true, but you can talk to her afterwards, I promise. Um, but anyway, man, today is Resurrection Sunday, and I'll be honest, uh, I've said it before, I'll say it today, I am all jacked up and there's no tire to change, and so we could be in for it this morning. Um, like this whole week been building towards excitement because I don't know, I was looking back at last year, look at that, you don't, You're, need, crazy. You don't need crazy, well, man, I was already adjusted to that level, I was set for crazy, thank you, John. Um, it's Resurrection Sunday. I look back last year, and, and this place was empty. Like, we could not gather. And so um, while we do still have less chairs out, we still have about as many kids back there, and we got a lot more babies sitting around this morning. Like, it's so good to be together today. Like, there's something about the resurrection and us being able to celebrate shoulder to shoulder uh, in the same room at the same time. And so I am, I am super grateful uh, that you guys are here. And for those of you who are watching at home or wherever you are and um, are still worshiping with us from afar, I'm glad you're there. Um, and we look forward to being reunited with all of you. If you haven't noticed, there are a lot of new babies sitting around. Um, there, We had kind of a, a during the pandemic, a baby boom, and I'm sure there will probably be another one following the baby boom. It's just how it happens. Um, But there are tons of babies floating around. So if you see these new babies, you know, don't feel like you have to touch them, but tell the parents, hey, I like your baby. It's a nice one. Um, And make sure you talk to them because a lot of them came back for the first time today. So it's great to see you guys. Man, it's great to see. It's just, man, uh, yeah, I love, man, I'm just, I'm just excited. Uh, today is one of those days in which me, uh, as, a, as a pastor, I never wonder what we're going to talk about. Like, at Christmas time, I, I don't have a problem, you know, figuring out where we're going to go, what we're going to discuss. At Easter, man, there's no question. Uh, we're going to talk about the resurrection today. Um, so, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 24. I'm struggling already, man. It's going to be good. Luke chapter 24, Andrew Hendricks makes fun of me because somebody asked the other day on Facebook, they are like, hey, what passage in the Bible really gets you? And there were a lot of people chiming in, and I threw one out there, and Andrew was like, let's be honest, like every one of them gets you. I'm like, yeah, I guess they do. But uh, yeah, but today I am, I'm, I'm really excited, and I say this too much too, um, probably, probably one of my favorite lines in all of Scripture is contained in this place that we're going to read today, love it. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just going to be, man, it's just going to be the way I am today. Uh, If you know me at all, you're used to it. Uh, Let me pray, and we're going to jump in, and we're going to talk. And here's the question that we're going to ask, and hopefully we're going to answer. We can't answer it in full, but we're going to answer it in part. Man, what does the resurrection mean to us today? So God, we love you. Uh, We thank you. Woo! God, we thank you for an empty grave. We thank you that we serve a Savior who death could not beat whose sin could not conquer, whose life was not silenced by the hatred of men. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Today, as a people, I pray in unison that we can say thank you, Jesus, for the resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, that the cross was not the end. Thank you, Jesus, that we can celebrate. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'm sorry. It's just going to be the way it's going to be today. So Luke chapter 24, let's open here. We're going to look at Luke's account of the resurrection. You can find the resurrection accounts in every gospel, but I love the details that Luke uses. Luke was a a physician, a doctor, so therefore he was quite detail-driven. Luke is our most kind of universal gospel. It can appeal to everyone. Matthew, we talk about Jewish, Mark, action-packed, Michael Bay of Gospels, John, theological. Luke, very universal. There's details there that we need to see, things that we need to understand, and it applies to all people at all times. In all places. So Luke chapter 24, verse 1, uh, it says, But on the first day of the week, which would have been Sunday at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, uh, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. They probably weren't wearing salmon." Uh, But they were in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? My favorite question in the New Testament, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them that told them these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them to be an idle tale or a fairy tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home and marveled at what had happened." So a couple of women decided that they were going to go and pay honor to Jesus, this, uh, this man, this prophet that they knew at this point, that had done so many things, that had told them so many things, that had seen them as no one else had seen them in their entire life, and they wanted to honor him by taking him and preparing his body after death. They get there, he's not there. It's still not dawning on, him, on them, all of the things that he had been telling them, all of the ideas that he had been conveying, and to be honest, why would it? Like we look at this and we're like how could you have not believed? How could you have not seen this coming? Like you heard it from the horse's mouth, Jesus himself. But if we place ourselves in their shoes or their sandals, we will understand that what had happened was not normal. What had happened was crazy. What had happened here was otherworldly, other timely, other eternally, not normal. And so it should have been a shock. It should have been a surprise. It should have been just like we did not see this coming. And so the women, they get there, the stone is rolled away, a huge stone, and one of the other Gospels records the women saying, hey, we just kind of overlooked this fact. We're going to honor Jesus with spices and prepare his body for death. Who's going to roll the stone away? We don't even know what we're going to do when we get there. Well, God made a way. Just like the ram in the thicket for Abraham and Isaac, someone had already rolled the stone away, except they couldn't take care of Jesus' body because he was gone. And so they went to the remaining 11 disciples, and they told them, they're like, you're not going to believe it. Uh, this is crazy. There were two men. They were sparkling. And, and like, we don't understand what's happened, but Jesus is gone. And all of them, they were like, I don't, I don't believe you. I, I, don't, I don't believe you. Except Peter. He was like, well, I've got to see for myself. That Peter, the same one that when he saw Jesus walking on the water, he was like, tell me to come to you if it's really you, and I will. And much to his surprise, he said, it is me. Come on out. And he did. He sank. Jesus grabbed him. But either way, Peter ran. He had to see for himself. And in between here and the next passage we're going to read, there were a couple of the other disciples that were walking on the road to Emmaus, and they were just walking along, and they were talking about the events that had occurred. You could read this in verses 13 through 35, and we're just going to kind of summarize it before we get to 36 they were walking on the way, and they were talking about all the crazy things that had occurred, like this Jesus, this Jesus who had, who had done miracles, who had done mighty works, who had said amazing things, who had authority he shouldn't have, who had power he should not have, who had words that he should not have. They were like, he's gone. And some, a stranger appeared with them and began to walk with them. It was Jesus, by the way, but they couldn't see it because he wouldn't let them see it yet. And, and he asked them, he was like, what are, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, how could you not know? Have you been living under a rock? behind one. He was like, how could you not know? And they told them everything. And then Jesus began to say, well, uh, before even revealing himself to him, he's like, well, let me tell you a story. And he started with Genesis and went all the way through and revealed to them all the things that they should have seen, should have known, should have heard, and should have already been prepared for if they would have been truly paying attention or if it would have been revealed to them. And then the two men still didn't know that it was Jesus, even after he gave them this amazing history lesson that culminates with the gospel and the resurrection. And the two men were like, man, we like everything you're saying. How about you come and stay with us a couple days? And so he did. He came and he, he stayed with them for a while, and he, he had dinner. And then at one point, their eyes were opened when he broke the bread, just like he had done before, distributed it, And they were like, oh, man. And it said, were our hearts not burning when he was with us? And then he was gone. He disappeared. And then we pick up in verse 36. And it says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself, when, people, when they had gathered together somewhere else, it said, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you or do not be afraid. And they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, see my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them, further proof that he was flesh and blood. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. uh, already displayed the fact that he was not in the tomb, revealed himself to a few, even in secret, he reveals himself to the rest. And they still were shocked in disbelief. They were still, it says that they were in disbelief with joy. Like they were overwhelmed with joy, but they still didn't really understand. And he was like, touch my hands, touch my feet, see that it's me, watch me eat, you will know that this is, I am not an apparition, I am not your imagination, I am Jesus in the flesh who conquered death. And then he leaves them with a couple other things that we will come back to The story of the resurrection should be something that we read and when we read it, it should be like, man, that, that is crazy. If we become numb to the fact that this Jesus who was God in flesh came, lived a perfect life, died a tragic death, and on the third day kicked death in the teeth and walked out of the grave, if we can read that, if we can hear that, and not go, oh my word, that is crazy, We become numb to the incredible, and we can't be there. We cannot grow numb, we cannot grow quiet, we cannot grow still to the marvelous nature that is the gospel. If we have, we... We've become a lot like the disciples, the ones that were marveling in their disbelief. They had joy, but they were like, I just don't understand. We can't be there. We have a privilege that they did not have. We have, like hindsight being 20-20, we can look back at the whole story, see the grandeur of it all, and know how it ends and how it began and see all of that. We cannot grow numb to the marvelous nature of the gospel. We can't grow numb to the fact that this should not have happened, that this is not normal, that this is other than us. It's got to be celebrated. It must be celebrated. I think for us, like today, I really want us to think about three things that we need to admit that the resurrection does for us. Not an exhaustive list because we wouldn't have time. Hopefully we talk about that all year long. But today I just want us to look at three. The first is this, that the, resur- the resurrection validates everything Jesus said and did. Hear me, this is important. This is critical. This is the linchpin of who we are, our identity in Christ. The resurrection validates everything Jesus was, everything he said, and everything he did. If it were not for the resurrection, it would be like going to Dearborn, Michigan, watching an F 150 roll off the line with no wheels on it. It would be no good, it would accomplish nothing, it would sit there. Because understand, if the resurrection did not happen, it would have made Jesus a liar and it would have made him incapable of leading us to victory. And it would have made the cross just simply tragic instead of victorious. Because see what the resurrection does. What the resurrection does is it it completes this new covenant, this idea that Only through Jesus can we be granted something that we did not have, that we could not make for ourselves. We can be granted access through newness to the Father. It's only through the resurrection. The cross, tragic without the resurrection. The cross would have simply been an innocent man dying and being done. It would have taken the wheels off the truck. But what the resurrection does, it completes the process of paying for our sins and then leading us out Of the grave. Because according to Ephesians, we were dead in our trespasses. There was no hope for us. We were incapable of restoring ourselves. But God, being rich in mercy, even while we were yet still sinners, made a way. And that make a way, that way was Jesus. And it was accomplished through his life, his words, his death, and his resurrection. All of the above. Not just parts, we needed them all. The resurrection completely validates everything Jesus said, everything he did, everything he was. In Matthew chapter 16 and 17, Jesus is actually telling what is going to occur. Even though the disciples, when it happened, they didn't recognize it. In chapter 16, he's talking to the religious elite kind of guys, and they're asking for a sign. They're like, give us a sign as to why you say these things, as to why you do these things. And he said, "Uh, basically, I am the sign, and it will be like Jonah. He referenced them back to something they should have been very familiar with, Jonah being under, beneath, being held in the belly of a well, and then on the third day being spit onto dry ground to take new life. He said, it's going to be like that. That will be your proof. So when you see it, you should know. So he was speaking kind of in code a little bit then, just kind of in Old Testament code, but again, the way that Hebrews thought, they should have gone right to that and been like, oh yeah, Jonah... Yeah, uh, unwilling prophet, sin, storm, tossed overboard, whale, swallows him, belly of the whale, spit, mm, Nineveh repents. Oh, yeah, I know all about that. I'll give you that sign. So when you see it happen, you'll know. And then there was the time in, in the early part of his ministry, he flipped tables in the temple twice, but in the first time when he goes in and he said, you shall not make my father's house a house of trade. You've turned it into something it's not meant to be. It's supposed to be a place of worship. You have inhibited that. You have kept people from doing that. Flips over tables, makes a whip, chases people out, and they're like, by what authority do you do this? And he said, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they got upset. They're like, you're talking about tearing down what Solomon built. And he wasn't talking about that. He was talking about the temple himself another sign. In chapter 17 of Matthew, he's talking directly to the disciples, and he tells them exactly what he repeats here. He's like, the son of man, I, me, I have to be turned over into the hands of sinners. I have to suffer, but on the third day, I'll come back. Spoke plainly to them. The resurrection validated everything that he said, everything that he did, everything that he was. If the resurrection had not occurred, Jesus would have been a liar, Therefore he would not have been good, therefore he would not have been able to pay the price for my sin, your sin because it took a perfect, spotless lamb to do that and if he was a liar he would not have been. The resurrection had to occur. It validated everything. The second thing for the resurrection that I think that we need to know, understand and lay claim to is because of the resurrection we too can be new. We can be new. If we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we, we see a discourse by Paul. We're not going to read it all. It's rather rather loquacious, and so we're not going to get caught in all of that. But, but at the end of it and in the beginning, he's talking about the idea uh, that uh, if, we, if we are not, uh, if there wasn't for the resurrection, then our preaching and our faith would be in vain. It would be no good. Our preaching and our faith would be in vain without the resurrection, but it also continues to let us know that uh, we are going to be new because Jesus is not like the first Adam who led us to death, but he's the new Adam that has led us to life. If we go and we look at the first Adam, the result of the first Adam was sin, the fall, separation, a brick wall that we could not get through to God. Adam built that by his descent, by his disobedience. But Jesus, on the other hand, the second Adam, the new Adam, the one that we can trust, he tore down the wall and he gave us access to God, therefore creating the opportunity through hope, by grace through faith, to be new. Just like he showed us. And that's the reason he said, touch the body. Understand, I am him. I'm not a spirit. I'm not an apparition. I'm not your imagination. Touch the scars and know that I am real. Watch me eat and see that it doesn't fall out of me like it would a ghost. I'm real. I've been made new and if you follow me you too can be new. 2 Corinthians 5:17 it says that if anyone is in Christ he or she is a new creation the old is gone the new has come. We get to experience a twofold resurrection. Hear me, we get to experience a twofold resurrection. The first resurrection, just like Ephesians tells us, that we get to rise from our death, that is a result of sin, in the newness of life, as a result of by grace through faith. And the old is gone, the new has come. Praise the Lord Almighty. I am no longer trapped by my sin. I am no longer controlled by my sin. I am no longer sentenced by my sin. I am alive with Christ. I have been made new by the resurrection. Resurrection number one. Resurrection number two. Paul assures us in 1 Corinthians as well that at one point when Jesus returns, my perishable body will fall away and be gone and it will be placed with the imperishable. My soul will last. That kernel will stay and it will be placed in something new that does not get affected by sin, that does not get sick, that does not wither, that does not ache, that does not hurt. Second resurrection. We, as a result of the resurrection can be new. can be new. It's a promise for all those who believe the sin that once controlled me no longer has the reins. Jesus does. The Spirit has been placed in me as a seal, as a promise, as a guide to seal my newness, to continue my newness, to guide me in working out my salvation with fear and trembling towards newness and sanctification. But then one day, one day, ultimate newness, full newness, And that's another reason we do communion. Like we look back and we remember the price that was paid, but it also forces us to look forward and remember that that price is going to have a result that is beyond compare. When Jesus returns to make all things right, as only the new Adam can, we will be ultimately new. Ultimately new. Man, I love seeing babies in here. Do they? Yeah. I get it. Here's the third thing. The third we see in verses 46 through 49 in chapter 24, just to reread it. And it says, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, repeating what he had told the disciples previously, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father, the Spirit, upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The perfect amalgamation between Matthew 28 and Acts 1, the Great Commission, we find here. And he's saying, Look, now here's what we need to know as a result of the resurrection there's a story to tell, there's a big story. To tell. And as a matter of fact, there are two stories to tell. There's the story of the resurrection, that is Christ, but then there's the story of my resurrection, of me, as a result of Christ. He said, right here, he said, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem, extending to Judea, Samaria, where they hate you, you hate them. And then going as far as you can possibly imagine, he says, You are my witnesses of these things, or be my witness. Tell of what you have seen, tell of what you have heard, tell of what you've experienced. You don't need to know the methods, you don't need to know all of the lines, you need to know what Jesus is done and what he's done in you and you proclaim that there's a story to tell as a result of the resurrection his story my story how they work together and how they can affect someone else's story we talk about story a lot we talk about it a lot like man the gospel is contained in my story and in your story if we are bound with jesus we may not know everything but we know what jesus has done in me we know what our life was like before Jesus. We know how he grabbed our attention. We know how we responded. We know what our life has been like since. If we can verbalize those four things, we can share the gospel. And as a matter of fact, we have been told that we must because there's a story to tell. But I think the story, too, I think, I think the story that we tell is further proof that this salvation that we proclaim, this salvation that we cling to is nothing that I could have ever done is nothing that you could have ever done. I was talking with a, a buddy of mine this week, um, and he was telling me how he, he met this guy who was very opposed to the gospel. And he just he said, I never can believe that. And he told him why, and he said, because I, I can't believe the story about the resurrection. That just doesn't seem possible. And he said, I, ca- I can't believe the virgin birth. That doesn't seem possible. This is further proof that this is a work of God, not as a work of man, because if we are asked in our own without the effect and without the the influence of the Holy Spirit in us to believe this, we never would. Like, we never would. Like, salvation is not a work of understanding. Salvation is a work of the Spirit regenerating me, regenerating you, making us new. Because if we were asked in our human understanding to believe that God could walk among us, never sin, die a death on our behalf substitutionarily, and then rise on the third day, kicking kicking death in the teeth and walking out of the grave, if it was up to me, I would never believe that. But it's not up to me, it's up to God. It's up to God and and his power, his authority, the spirit that lives in us to redeem mankind. This is not my doing. And then even as that story transcends, we talk about the story of the cross and we talk about my story. To be honest, if I am telling my story in an attempt for me to save someone else, I will never save them unless God affects them. Because again, for me to say, I'm believing in this perfect Savior who was God, who walked on earth and never sinned, who died death in my place and potentially your place if you believe, and then he walked out of the grave and went back to heaven where he had always been. If I'm trying to convince someone and save someone, it will never happen. But if God is involved and faith comes through hearing, according to Romans 10, and hearing the word of God, and that is coming out of my mouth, influenced by the Holy Spirit, then salvation can occur. Redemption can occur. Newness can occur. Man, the stories that we tell, and as they are believed, it's further proof that this salvation that we cling to and that we need and that we, we, we must proclaim is a work of God, not a work of man. And for some, we may hear that and think, man, that, that seems to take me out of it. But for the rest of us, we need to hear it and say, no, that puts God entirely in it. Therefore, I can trust it. Because I'll be honest, if I'm trying to recreate something on my own to save someone... It's not going to be very good. It's definitely not going to be lasting. It's probably going to be a system that would point us to religion. And God says, no, I have more for you. I have more for you. The resurrection demands that this story must be told because it is an amazing story. And the effect of the story, if God is in it, is redemption of mankind. That's why we're here. Like, understand that God didn't create this this beautiful story from the foundation of time to redeem people so that we could sit and be egocentric individuals. He didn't create this magnificent way to the Father by grace through faith, if we just believe, so that we could sit and be better versions of ourselves. No, He created it so that mankind, who were alienated by sin, could be united with the Father through Jesus, who died my death, conquered my sin, and then rose from the grave if I just believe. The point of the gospel is that it must be verbalized, it must be spoken, it must be shared, it must be a story that we're familiar enough with that we speak of frequently, passionately, and convictingly. There's a story to tell. I think this is the, the last point of the resurrection for us today. It should be something that we celebrate on a daily basis. That we celebrate on a daily basis. That Jesus did not love us just enough to conquer our sin and leave us alone, but He loved us enough to conquer our sin and then provide a way for us to be made new. Because God could have done whatever He wanted. could have done whatever He wanted, and He could have left us in our swallow. But instead, He chose to redeem us into splendor, to remove us from our pig pens that we place ourselves in, like the prodigal son, and to welcome us with open arms, with kisses, the best robe, the rings, and the shoes, and a party. We need to celebrate the resurrection every single day. And when we say thank you for Jesus, whether we're saying it in word or not, we need to know that what I'm thanking Jesus for is a life that He lived that I could not, A death that he died that it wouldn't have done any good, and a resurrection that I'm incapable of providing. Yet he did it all for me, for you, for all those who would believe. We need to celebrate that. Maybe you're one of those people that struggles with the idea of the resurrection. I get it. I get it. From man's perspective, man, it makes no sense makes no sense at all. doesn't seem possible. And I'll be honest, if it was left up to man, it wouldn't be possible. It couldn't happen. But what we have to understand about this, man, this providential exchange between God and man is it's not about what we do. It's not about what we could make happen. It's about what we couldn't make happen, so God did. And so if you're struggling with being able to believe it, this is what I would tell you to do. Like I appreciate a healthy skeptic. I do. Like, I value the healthy skeptic. But a healthy skeptic uh, wants to explore every possibility before really settling on disbelief, right? An unhealthy skeptic says, I'm not going to explore it. I'm just going to not believe it. A healthy skeptic says, no, I, I want to explore it. I want to figure it out. This is what I would urge you to do if you're a healthy skeptic. I would encourage you to say, God, if you're real, show me the truth. God, if you're real, show me the truth. Reveal to me whether this is true or not. And until he says yes or no, or you have an answer, don't disbelieve. Just wait. Seek the answers. See if it's real. And then if you come to the conclusion that it is and you would like to know more, man, I would love to tell you more. I know that Zach would love to tell you more. Neil would love to tell you more. Becky and my wife and Neil's wife, they would love to tell you more. We would love just to sit and say, hey, this is what we know. This is what God's done in me, and I believe that He can do it in you. Let me tell you more. I know about 30 people sitting in this room right now that would love to tell you more. Today we get to continue just to celebrate the resurrection, but I would encourage you that when you leave and you go and you you hunt eggs or you eat pig, which wouldn't have happened before the resurrection either, most likely for a lot of us, uh, if you go and do any of these things Like today, find opportunities just to say, thank you, Jesus, that you didn't stay in that grave. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't sit there and rot, but instead you rose victoriously. And because of that, we can celebrate. We can celebrate. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that a tomb could not hold him. God, we thank you that people could not silence him. We thank you that eternity could not exist without him. God, I thank you for the cross Uh, that would be meaningless without the resurrection, but with it, God, uh, it is a huge just shout of victory for those who believe. God, I pray as a result of your resurrection and the message of your cross and the message of salvation that rests in the people that you have called, God, I pray that you would use that to draw men and women unto yourself, to see that in this city, through this church and others, that every man, woman, and child would have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. God, you would use our celebration to make your name great. You would use our celebration to share the gospel. You would use our celebration, God, to remind believers of what we have. God, for your glory, for your purpose, God, I pray that we could celebrate well. But I pray that it just wouldn't happen today, this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday. But I pray that you would remind us when our feet hit the floor in the morning that we have so much to be grateful for, so much to say thank you for, so much to be in awe of that we need to thank you for revealing to us. Thank you for opening our eyes. Thank you for that supernatural exchange that we could not orchestrate. God, I thank you for those who you will save. I thank you for those whom you've already saved. And God, I thank you that you allow us to participate. We love you. It's in your son's name that we say thank you. We have victory. Amen.